Hello and welcome to this episode of the coaching podcast from British Canoeing. Welcome to the coaching podcast. My name is Pete Catterall. I'm talent coach developer for British Canoeing. And uh, in this edition of the coaching podcast, really pleased to have uh, tracked down Imogen Collins. It's been a while. We've been talking about doing a podcast for probably about a year now. So finally, we've managed to get it together. Um, so I'd like to welcome Imogen. Um, uh, I'll let you introduce yourself, Imogen. Why don't you just uh, say a little bit about um, who you are, what you do, uh, a little bit of background about you just to get, get people in the mood. Oh, so as Pete said, I am Imogen, Imogen Collins. I am the English National Talent Squad coach for sprint kayaking. I have worked for British Canoeing for four years and six months, which I've read recently. Um, and I have been within the sport since I was about eight, started paddling at Reading Canoe Club and then I've, at 18 kind of made the transition into volunteer coaching and worked my way through the once existent uh, sprint talent pathway. So from RTA to SRS up to ENTS coach uh, with a few other steps in between. Um, and I'm doing lots of work at the moment uh, with a bit of the female development group, trying to make some changes there. And I'm also on the SRC, Sprint Racing Committee, for those who don't know. And that's why we haven't managed to get this done till now, because <laughs> you're quite busy, aren't you? Lots, yeah, lots Brilliant. I do some coaching every now and then as you well. Do, I was going to say, and you coach and, and everything else, and you've got a new dog in your life as well, which is which is cool to see in the background there. Not that anyone else could see that, but hey, let's not talk about that. Um, so, you know, we're going to talk about sprint uh, and sprint coaching, I guess, mainly. So, you know, let's just let's just delve into that a little bit then. So what why did you, what took you down the sprint line as, as a paddler? Because obviously, you know, you used to compete. What was it that attracted you to sprint? It was over quicker. I'm pretty much, <laughs> my attention span was a little bit, rubbish to go and do the marathon it put a lot of pain on my body that lasted a lot longer I didn't really like having blisters that much um no I really like the adrenaline side of the sprint section you're sitting on that race line uh, that start line you know that you can go and do what you've got to do you know how long you're doing it for it's really clear it's all down to you um, and I think especially the K4 racing, it's just something I loved being part of crew boats. So sprint was just an easy, easy winner for me. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that, that makes loads of sense. And did you find, so obviously the K1 as well, but did you, was it the, you know, the kind of team thing that you liked about the, the K2 and K4 stuff that you did? Was it being part of a bigger, yeah. bigger thing than individual? I am pretty much all about kind of doing things for others um and I actually think that I spent a lot of time struggling with my k1 because I, I didn't see the point in trying to perform for me but shoved me in a k2 a k4 and I know that I'm trying to help other people get to their kind of points of success it gave me a hell of a lot more enthusiasm and I think that's what also helped me transition into the coaching. Uh, I wanted to be able to give back, to start off with, give back to the club that had given me so much of my childhood. And then as I moved on, just helping people reach their goals of, of whatever that might be, be that 
today I found out that one of my athletes got a job that I, I sent him through. He managed to get that. So it's the little things where you like, okay, I've been part of their process as well. Brilliant. Uh, that, uh, yeah, that makes low. As soon as you started talking about why you liked K2 and K4, I was like, well, that makes total sense of why you got into coaching and, and, and yeah. why you've been really successful as a coach as well. Because it's if you don't like helping people, coaching is definitely not the right the right avenue to go down, is it? Um, let's let's just probe a little bit into that then. So you you did a bit of sprint. You would have done a bit of marathon and a bit of sprint. And we see a lot of athlete, young athletes, doing both. Do you, do you think that's a good way to start? Are there any pros and cons to to somebody doing that? Do they need to have a view of which one they they need to really put a focus on? What what are your thoughts on that, Jim? I think. To start off with, it's about experience, it's about fun, and it's about working out what works for you. Um, I can completely understand that people specialise, because if you have an interest in going fast, if you have an interest in going for a long time, you're going to go down those routes. However, as long as you enjoy both of them, keep doing both of them, I'm not necessarily sure that you can reach the elite level if you're trying to juggle both more for the fact that to be doing every Hazler race and nationals and all these competitions and to still go and compete at a high level at sprint, your body probably just can't take it. It's, it's expecting a lot from it. So if you are smart with what you do, I think you can do a large amount of them for most of your junior experience. Um, but that is making sure that you kind of, maybe cherry pick a little bit more the races that are going to benefit you um the regattas that you need to be out for selection all of those sort of things the the key races you might do at a regatta to make sure that you are able to perform in those rather than trying to do every hasler all the dw series and, and white um and waterside series and the sprints and then being lost in this bubble of where am i like how come i'm not quite achieving in any of them yeah, yeah, you can see how it'd be easy to get torn, you know, into training for longer distance when actually you might want to be a sprint athlete or 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 vice versa, you know, being a training for sprint because that's what's coming up. Whereas actually, you need to be able to go for longer. So the different energy systems, even though there's a lot of crossover. Have, yeah. So do you think having almost like having, as a junior athlete then having an eye on what your preference is and knowing which way you're kind of aiming is is a good thing. Yeah, I think having an understanding of where you want to go with it, because I think working with Dan Atkins in his year where he won Worlds really emphasised to me that is such a huge difference in the technical paddling abilities of the two different sports. For him to be able to get up to 170 stroke rate and be really efficient with it, it's it's got to be trained, it's got to be harnessed, it's got to be understood, whereas for those that are maybe kind of trying to be fitter, go for longer, and then suddenly think that because they do a few burns in a marathon, they're going to be the fastest they can. It's a difference. Sprint is a power-based sport. Marathon is an endurance-based sport. They can come together if you do it in the right way, but technically the efficiencies are just slightly different. In marathon, it's a lot more about kind of getting the swing of the body, the kind of ticking through of the tempo, in in sprint you've got to be a lot more dynamic it's all about that kind of catch phase that that delivery that quick movement through the water and 
and each individual stroke. Um, so it was definitely working with uh, Dan Atkins that kind of helped cement that for me because I've seen the boy do a marathon race. I've seen him sprint at that kind of middle level. But then as soon as he wanted to make the jump up, it was like, yeah, okay, there is technical changes that need to happen to be the best you can possibly be in the sprint world. Yeah. That, that's, yeah, this is, this is why I like doing these podcasts. I learn, I learn loads about how you think as a coach and how you see things and, and just kind of helps, helps me put things into place when I watch you working with athletes out on the water, why you're doing what you're doing. So, um, you know, sprint is a, is a really technical discipline. And, and I know a lot of, you know, paddlers who don't come from that world will go, oh, it's, just, it's just paddling fast in a straight line. How hard can it be? And seeing that, you know, that, that technique delivered absolutely on point, every stroke being as good as it can be. And like you say, up to, you know, junior worlds, 170 strokes per minute. Yeah. It's pretty quick that, isn't it? So, how do, how do as a, as a coach then, you know, there'll be, co it's obviously a coaching podcast, so let's talk about coaching. How do you, how do you help someone build up to that 170? Because if you ask me to go and do 170 strokes a minute, I might be able to do it, but it, you know, you'd throw your laundry in and all sorts, because it just wouldn't look pretty. It would just, look, <laughs> it would just be splashing everywhere. So how does someone build up to that? Is it, do you, do you do stroke rate counting? Do you, do you do a real pacing sessions and it's built up on quality? How does that look? So I like to go down the route that you have to learn to paddle fast, slowly before you can paddle fast, fast. So if you are able to move your bow as quickly as possible at 50 stroke rate, 60 stroke rate, 70 stroke rate, when you go up to those next levels, you've actually got somewhere to go. If your boat's already accelerating when you're here, like down at the, down at the 60 zone, Think of how well it's going to move when you transition that slowly up. So I get my guys to do a lot of work on that power stroke section. So it's about that speed through the stroke. It's about almost feeling like you're trying to go really hard for that section, that water phase of the stroke, and then feeling comfortable to like hold off, hold off, hold off, and then go for the next one. There's a lot of people that spend time trying to do things like 60 stroke rate and there isn't that compression of the body and the connection through the kinetic chain without that you can't start to build it up so it is about kind of starting off trying to go be as fast as possible going as slowly as possible and slowly building up on top of that I think there is a lot of work to be done around understanding how to grip the water if you understand how to grip the water at max pace so using bungee using resistance dan did a lot of that dan put extra weight in his boat if we're using dan as an example a lot of work about kind of actually how do we get that force into the water when something's trying to stop us and then it just means that when you're then going to that next level you're still wanting to apply as much force but there's nothing resisting it so as you're building that stroke rate up, uh, I would say, yeah, power is a really big thing to do. Bungees are a really good, big thing to do. And I would say understanding how to attack the correct sections of sessions. 
Um, so, for example, a lot of work rolling in. Um, to be able to go at max, if you're doing a short effort, like a 50 meter sprint, if you aren't at max to start off with, then you're wasting half of your effort to get to max. So understanding how to, to use the processes before the effort even starts is, is quite a key thing as well. I'm not sure if I've kind of veered away from yeah. your question there, but no. there are some steps that you've got to do. Don't just think that you can go fast immediately. It's about getting everything in your body to move at the correct tempo to be able to get that energy into the water to accelerate you through. Brilliant. And, and it, I, I guess, you know, we've, we've spent quite a bit of time on boats and riverbanks or, or lakesides. It's been a while, but we have done it. Um, let's get back to that too. You know, and I, I'm always fascinated in when you're seeing those, those breakdowns in, in performance. So are there, are there certain things that you, that you are sort of drawn to, to watch, you know, your coach's eye, are there certain things that you note are the regular things that you go, that's the trigger that means they need to just knock it back a little bit on the stroke rate or, or is it just different for everybody? Um, there's obviously some big triggers around uh, when you're trying to push that rate up, losing some of the connection at the start of the stroke. If you're starting to short stroke and then you're just turning into biceping it, that's not dynamic. If you've got that really long kind of reach in front and that great connection through the body, and then you're accelerating the blade out so that you've got time to still get in the correct position for the next stroke, that's the real big thing. I think for me, I love the technical side, like absolutely my favorite. And, and me and Nick, uh, my boss, manager, he won't like me saying boss, he gets angry at that. My uh, equal ENTS coach, who isn't equal, um, he, like we both like to really say i've completely forgotten my point there what do we say what was my point the, the technical point the bit the way you look for the breakdown oh, yeah 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 every session is a technical session and that probably i'm really fortunate that i'm able to uh shadow some incredible coaches one of which eric farrell uh who is liam heath's coach he was tim brabant's coach he has done some exceptional things and you can tell that he's working with three world-class program athletes and there's not a single session that there isn't some sort of technical input into it. Maybe a little bit less so with Liam, but there is still that check and challenge and that understanding of like, actually, how come you've done that? How come you're paddling this way? And it may be a little bit more like, oh, well, this has happened off water. That's what's causing this. Um, but yeah, every session is a technical session, but you have to frame it in the right way. If you can't, if you're expecting an athlete to go absolute max, you can't expect them to have 10 things to think about. If they're going at cap, that's lower speed, that's when you can almost overload them a little bit and make the difference so that as they slowly progress up to, in those speeds, they're taking things with them because the body's got into the routine of doing those movements. So yeah, I'm, I'm very, into the technical i i love the thought of that acceleration that quickness through the water finding the time to really set up so that every every single catch is at the front of the uh at the front of the stroke brilliant and it, what's really funny is a lot of people listening can't see this but obviously we're doing this over zoom i can see you miming it as you're talking which is great you, you obviously got 
Like, yeah. what I really love is you start you start buzzing about it whenever we start talking about <laughs> about forward. But I, I also think that people that see me along like riversides and and proms must think that I am absolutely nuts when I'm talking to my athletes because I'm holding these shapes and gripping the water and pretending I'm paddling and they're like, oh, what's she doing? But <laughs> and, and some of the things and the words and the terminology and the um, what is it that I love to do? What is it when you don't want to say compare something to things? For like, example, I quite regularly talk stuff. to my athletes about analogy. Yeah, I love talking about analogy. Spent loads of time with one of them talking about how he spreads his Nutella on the toast nice and quickly and then takes a lick of his uh, of his knife. If he doesn't do it quickly enough, it doesn't spread perfectly. And then he has the time to enjoy it after. I've spoken to one of them around how if you think of your body, the bo the your body and hips and legs and that kinetic chain is a shire horse and your arms are a Shetland pony. And if you want it to get somewhere quickly, you know which horse you're going to be jumping on the back of. Okay, so like it's using those sort of things. Brilliant. Um, I love that. That's why every time I come and watch you coach, it's quite entertaining. You know, you. you you know, I, I, we've talked about it before that you, you're, you know, a creative coach. You're creative with your sessions you do and the, the ideas you come up with, and that really shows through on the water as well. And it shows through in, in your athletes that that, you know, in a good way, they never know quite what's going to happen next. In a, in a good way, you keep them keep them engaged and keep them guessing. I think that's a really. Uh, do, do you think with sprint being, you know, what it is, it's quite. If you're not careful, it can be repetitive and doing the same thing every day. And I know. You know, yeah. there's, there's another piece of work that you've been doing on on that creativity and that keep keeping things interesting. How, how, how does that process work in your, you know, without diving into your head, which is risky. Where, you know, that's that's for another podcast, I would I would say, <laughs> and somebody else. But where does that creativity come from? How do you how do you keep that going? Is that something that works? Do you bounce off the athletes that you work? I know you have great relationships with your athletes. That's really important to you. So where does that? Yeah. I think that one of my big things is by being creative, I'm probably going to go down some bizarre routes that might not work. However, me doing that is always going to have a benefit still because it shows my, it, it shows the athletes it's okay to fail. Like not all of the things I come up with are going to work. Sometimes I do get their faces like, come on now, Imogen, you've taken it too far. Like, where is your head at? And actually, I love that. I love that they can challenge me back and be like, that doesn't work for us. And I'm like, oh, cool. Okay, let's move on. Let's try something new. What do you think might work? And it does. It comes back massively to that relationship section of it um, by, by making myself vulnerable by trying different things. The athletes feel really comfortable around me and feel like, okay, well, we, we could explore things as well. Um, and I think it makes a big difference. Creatively wise, I think it's just that my brain's a little bit, I've never been a massive academic uh, and not even a tiny academic really. Um, I, I like to explore things so that my brain can process things. And actually it processes through things that are just going on in my brain to do with other stuff. So, Luckily, I'm where I'm working with kids. There's a little bit more freedom. I can I can understand, try and understand them, and bring things back that relate to them and their lives, and that works really well. I it was quite recently, 
me and Nick again, we just kept on using car analogies. And I stood there and I was like, Nick, not one of these people has even started to drive yet. Why are we doing this? Of course they don't know about changing up to gear three. Half the time I don't know about it. And I've been driving for God knows how many years. So actually it was it, it was a massive eye-opener to me that we needed to bring it back to what's relevant to them. Um, and I think that's what allows me to be cre quite creative. I mean, sometimes I use an excuse as to why I watch such rubbish TV like Love Island, but there's a reason behind it. Are you claiming Love Island did work? It's not. No, but I'm going to try from now on. <laughs> okay, so... Yeah, let's 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 delve in there. So, coach athlete relationships. The every nearly every well, yeah, every podcast I've done comes back to that. So, do, does is it all, does it always come easy to you to build that coach athlete relationship, or are some harder than others? Because it's really important. We know that, but are, are there ways you go? Some, some are way harder. Um, I think, and I. I've had to do a lot of work within my own kind of development to make sure I understand that it's not harder because I'm necessarily doing anything wrong. It's coming back to the individual. Do I understand the individual? Do I understand what makes them tick? And can I provide for that? And I think that's my realization is that I'm not gonna be the perfect person for everyone everyone needs someone slightly different and there are individuals that actually they'd much rather work with a coach that just gets them to that is just a stopwatch however that's not what I am and that's why I kind of am quite open with my athletes from the start of how I work and how how I want us to collaboratively work um, and I think that's a big thing if the athlete knows that they are in a really safe place with me where they can put in their ideas um then I think that relationship just builds massively um one of the things that I I do still want to work on a lot um is understanding when when there's a line as in how do I make sure that I have my time for me as an individual and not just constantly providing as a coach for the juniors for example they they don't quite understand that Friday night five o'clock I should probably be switching off um and I think that's a development thing for all of us. But I think the relationship side of it is just invaluable. And it, it is about being there for them at the lows as well as the exceptional highs. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you know I've, I've seen your commitment to that first, first hand and we've had conversations about, you know, don't forget about you, make, make time for you. And that, that's where, as soon as you get that space, you can, that's where your next level of creativity can come from and, you know that you know we've chatted over this last well it has been a year now you know you are just desperate to go out there and coach and that, that's yeah. that's brilliant to see so in terms of your your own sort of development as a coach said you know you obviously you know a lot about forward paddling you know a lot about sprint racing you know a lot about physical development so how do you keep you know obviously i'm a coach developer so i've got a bit of a hand in this but um, how do you keep that want to get better as a coach and where does where do you look for that i know you work with eric and, and i know you have a lot of conversations with you know gaz wilson and, and craig morris in slalom you know you 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 even talk to them <laughs> so is is that do you have like a, a an intrinsic want like you were when you were an athlete every day you 
you got up and you did what you could to be better is that do you carry that through in your coaching I think that any coach that believes they they know everything they need to know is a failed coach um there is no end in the ability to learn whether it's something that you've probably always been doing just understanding why you've done it or if it's just trialing something completely new um I think that one of the reasons I push to improve myself is because I probably didn't do it enough as a paddler. And, you know, sometimes when people ask like, oh, if you could take what you know now into when you're a paddler, would it be different? Oh my God, I'd be so much better because I don't think I had that want to learn. I don't think I had that mindset to perform. I don't think that I really ever prioritize the right things. Whereas now I'm like, if I want to become the best in my field, I want to do that for me. I want to do that for my athletes. And I want to keep doing that for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And things are always going to be changing. Um, sport has changed so much in the few years that I've been coaching. Um, not necessarily always for the better. There's a lot more tick boxes, but if you do them in the right way, it, it's for the right reason and it, it matches to society. So yeah, any coach that believes they know everything that they need to know is a failed coach in my eyes. Yeah, I'm gonna virtually high five you there because that's something I'm really passionate about. So I, yeah, and that's great. That is great to hear. And that's the same, you know, for me and, and you know, colleagues Sid as coach developers, you know, we haven't got all the answers. You guys have got some of the answers. The athletes have got some of the answers. And then there's other sports and other, walks of life that have got the answers and, and every day getting up and, and answering asking yourself some questions how can I be better at what I do is that's where it all comes from so it really sickens me to drop his name again but I I think Dan Atkins is a is something someone that has really helped me develop my understanding of the right person the right place so Previously, I've had, when he was an athlete down at the canoe club, I had issues that I thought he was trying to like kind of sack, sack off working with me and go and work with someone else. Well, actually, I now, as an ENTS coach, will regularly ask Datkins to come in, to D Dan, call me name, um, to come in and help with sessions because it's seeing things through a different set of eyes. He's a year older than some of them. He's been through it and that's going to be helpful. And then I can work with him to work out the right ways to then help them progress. So that's been a really helpful thing. Remembering that you're not only going to learn from people that have won the, this is my pet peeve. You don't, it's a bit hypocritical because I work with Eric, but you don't only learn from the best, like the best coaches, the best paddlers. You can learn so much from just exploring what you know um everyone's so if you if you're trying to get all of your learning if you're a club coach trying to learn everything from the top elite paddling coach is that realistic to the audience that you're trying to work with the chances are it's not so actually stepping down a level from that and actually taking the opportunity to ask a question to someone that is working at a different club or someone that is working for me I love learning through a guy at the canoe club who does a lot of the senior sessions like as in the the I hope no one gets offended by this middle-aged women sessions and he also runs the under 12s 
well, that's quite a broad range, but actually they're people that I just don't work with. So I love learning through him and getting ideas of what he's trying and seeing how that is. Brilliant. And that, that is just stealing off different people and trying to apply it to your context, isn't it? And yeah. it's really nice and, you know, refreshing to hear that, you know, you've been a coach for a long time. You've had, you know, however many athletes through and you're still going, I'm going to go learn from someone else and someone else and just cherry pick from it. So on that kind of a, a, a slightly uh, disjointed question, but it's a bit I want to get onto is um, you're, you're involved really heavily with the female athlete work and you know in coach education it's something that until very recently really wasn't really talked about you know with me as a, as a male coach coaching female athletes female paddlers it's quite it can be quite uncomfortable for us we're told you know not to talk about certain things so talk just you know i'm conscious a little bit of time uh is uh you know how does what's your your work in the, in the female athlete development and also in female coach development looking like at the moment and, and why is that important to you it's huge it's a massive subject area um myself and one of the slalom coaches luce smith kind of set up this female development group with the hope of just directing people to the information that is out there and then in time increasing the information that is available through like for example british canoeing and then taking the opportunity to educate um be that educating females about the opportunities there are in coaching or be that educating potentially male coaches in in what it takes to kind of support a female athlete and also really strongly educating the female athletes to love and respect the athletic body and all of the things that the female body does um and how that can be a massive benefit to to an athlete it's like i say it's a huge piece of work and actually it's lovely to see that british canoeing is actually a couple of steps in front of a hell of a lot of ngbs um so the fact that we are out here trying to pull some things together for example we we organize the female fridays on the british canoeing instagram um, we are looking to do some Q&As with athlete, female champions to increase role models that are seen. And then we are looking to tr start to create a coaching module, which will then build into more coaching modules about what it takes to, to create that environment for a female athlete to excel. Are there, are there any, I mean, that's, that is fantastic, you know, and I've, I've seen some of the work you've been doing there and are there any key areas though that you think so like let's, let's say I, i'm a <laughs> slightly older than middle age i don't know if i'm middle age or older than middle age i'm not sure where it starts and finishes now coach what are the things that what what should i go and research if i don't know anything about female you know young female athlete development what, what should i go and look up right now before i do my next session i think that there is a large amount of work to be looked at around terminology um because i think gonna obviously the next big thing is like well the biggest thing is the menstrual menstrual cycle but i'm not i would never expect a man to go out and learn all of that information and know it off by heart because i'm gonna be honest at 27 god knows how many periods i've had i don't still fully get it but it's understanding how to have those conversations around that subject area to make sure that you can give your athlete the best opportunity to use their body and excel so 
looking into the the wording how you can approach it conversation starters with athletes because the female athletes they're becoming a hell of a lot more comfortable um i know in myself um obviously i am a female coach so it might seem a little bit easier but i sometimes have to just check with my athletes that they definitely remember that there's boys on the calls when they are talking about their periods their period pains the fact that they've had a nightmare trying to use the ta a tampon for the first time. Those are all things like they are all part of it. And for a male coach to understand that talking about it in the correct way, don't don't bombard them, don't don't turn it into a negative, but being willing to kind of openly discuss things where they're needed and understanding the strengths that it will have of basically understanding why you're asking the question. And having that conversation is really, really powerful. Um, but I do think, yeah, the menstrual cycle is obviously a key area. And I think body image and understanding what makes girls tick. I think there is a is a point that when a girl is really, really into winning races and training really, really hard, there's a, a quick snap of like, oh, well, she's got a real male mentality. Might not be the case. and But it's just... it's getting it stepping out of those little comments and those little the wrong things to say so just ask ask the athletes talk to them yeah i think yeah you've got a real important bit is, is ask find out yeah and and you, you just sort of hinted at something there that you know rem reminding the girls that there's boys on the talk do you think that that kind of helps this kind of separation that like when i was at school girls went off and talked about girl stuff with girl teachers and boys went and talked about boy stuff <laughs> No surprise, I went through most of my life not understanding menstrual cycles because it was hidden. It was something boys boys don't talk about that. So the more you can get that normalised for, for for boys to hear about and girls to talk about in front of boys, it should be less of an issue yeah. later on, I guess. And yeah. I I know that I'm in a really fortunate place. I'm in a fortunate place that because I am a female, I've experienced these things. I can start those conversations with the girls really openly. And because they know they're in an environment once again, where I'll join in with the chit chat. So they're gonna wanna start, they're, they're comfortable. They're like, this is a place where I can vent about all of these issues I've had. And actually it's really nice to see how that has grown as the, the group has mixed, um, especially during COVID um, and everyone just, has has a, a a great time being able to openly discuss it you can see there's an awkwardness in the boys still but it's getting them to understand it yeah i think that's a really good yeah like understood again it's understanding there will be an awkwardness yeah. the boys again that's okay they'll it'll get less awkward and less awkward and less awkward yeah. as we go through so we're sort of running out of time here on our on our chat and i think you know, like, like all these podcasts, we go, oh, we, should, we could just do another hour or, or another whatever. <laughs> Are there any, um, what, what, if, if someone wanted to be, listen to this and go, oh yeah, I quite fancy being a sprint coach, you know, I've done a bit of sprint racing. What attributes do you think, uh, uh, you know, you could, it doesn't have to be a sprint coach because coaching's coaching, but what are the attributes a sprint coach needs to have in, in your eyes? What, what, what do they need to have before they can make that jump into coaching? um lots of layers that would be my one big thing no i think 
there has to be an understanding that it's an individualized environment so there is a lot of extra work that has to be done to create that team morale to make sure that everyone's getting a little bit of what they need or what might make them tick um so creating a team while focusing on the individual result is is a real key thing to be able to do to be able to like think about when you're coaching um i do think like just paddling up and down a lake can become insanely monotonous so feeling comfortable to explore that and challenge that stop start process and be willing to just do something a little bit different um is also a really big thing and i i, I, I love that because you started off with about setting the right environment and be willing to explore and challenge not it's all about forward paddling so you, i love that because it, that, like that's taken as red in it that if you want to be a coach you need to know what you're talking about yeah. what i love there is you, you're not talking about that you're talking about how you set up a good coaching environment and i think that's that's a that is a really key thing that is not just about saying stop go and yeah my biggest fear is being a stopwatch because anyone can put a stopwatch on the front of the boat so what's then then i'm obsolete so if i'm just a stopwatch then i'm underperforming that's where my task is as a coach to give these athletes these young developing fleets the best opportunity to love explore and achieve i think so love the sport explore the sport and explore themselves and achieve the best thing that they can possibly achieve and that is a great way to finish this chat because <laughs> that, that is a really cool message i think so hey imogen thanks ever so much for your time i know you're very busy you know bit busy writing um training plans for coming out of finally coming out of lockdown Woo! and things can open up and looking you know we had a meeting earlier where we we're talking about racing wow mm -hmm. um, boats and all sorts of stuff that might actually happen back together again so thanks for taking stepping out and spending a bit of time with us and um yeah good luck with your athletes and i'm you know i'm always looking forward to seeing well i'm looking forward to actually seeing you again not on the screen uh, and seeing where your athletes are at and seeing how they do over this next season so Thanks ever so much for your time and uh, I will speak to you again soon. Thanks, Pete.